Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Lit Service, where we're fans of fiction and purveyors of dodgy writing advice. I'm Aaliyah, and the most YA-ish moment of my life was in high school. I woke up late, I set my hair on fire making breakfast, it had ice rained the night before, so I was late to an orchestra class on a day we had a test. Oh my god. Pretty gosh. much YA just sucks. So there you have it. Um, I'm Kristen, and my most YA-ish moment is a little different. I was on a flight from my home in Hawaii out to Utah, and there was this guy on the flight around my age, and the flight attendant weirdly announced, and they were like, Passenger Evans, uh, uh, you're being like promoted to first class. Passenger, whatever his last name is, you've been upgraded to first class. And so we both sort of looked at each other and were like, what? I've never flown first class in my life and we get up there and the flight attendant puts us in seats next to each other and says you two have a love connection talk to each other oh my gosh (laughs) all the old all the old rich people around us like spent the whole time eavesdropping on our conversation and it was like a six-hour flight better than the films who did it do you did you ever find out yeah, the, the flight the flight attendant told the us. Flight atten- the, okay. the flight attendant literally was like, look, I could just tell you two have a thing. Um. <laughs> so she used her power, her flight she attendant did. Yeah. powers. Now I know how to get upgrades. That yeah, you just, just got to make meaningful eye contact with someone around your age and, <laughs> and you're good. <laughs> nice. All right. Well, I'm Caitlin, and my most YA-ish moment is probably the time I... I was dating this guy, and then I left the country for a couple of years, actually, and we stopped dating because I left the country for a couple of years. And um, then I got back, and I saw him across the quad. We were going to the same school, same college, and um, we had not really spoken the whole time I was gone. So he saw me, we made eye contact, and there were like lots of unresolved feelings that had happened as a result of this relationship, so I ran in the other direction. Um, like, like sprinted away and hid in a girl's bathroom so he couldn't follow me. <laughs> you know, that is valid. That is valid. Yeah, there's actually a lot more to that story, but I'm not going to tell it right now. But I, I did. I married him. So it worked out. Aww. <laughs> yeah. Happy ending after all. Yeah. And, uh, and hi, I'm Eric. And uh, when I was in high school, I had yet to find a date to the prom. Uh, I wanted to go with my best friend, who is uh, still my best friend, but she went and got a boyfriend. Uh, though we still took our prom photos together, uh, and I was debating what to do. I couldn't figure out what I was going to do. And like prom was getting closer and closer. And I walked into my English class and there was this girl who I, I I barely really knew. We only talked a few times, uh, just crying in the back of the room, like loudly. And everyone was focused on it. And she's talking about how her boyfriend had broken up with her and she's going to have no date to the prom. It was just this whole big dramatic thing. So me being like the cinnamon roll idiot that I was, was like, hands on my hips and I was just like you know what I'll take you to prom and everyone cheered and it felt like a wonderful like teen movie moment and then she got back together with her ex at the prom (laughs) (laughs) oh too classic and I'll never forget it like I I was out on the dance floor with my friends and then I was walking back to her table and like they were like kissing at our table and I was like oh Oh, well (laughs) all right it's been and fun. That's my, my most YA moment. <laughs> but you are such a chivalrous character, so uh, clearly the audience is rooting for you. <laughs> All right. Well, a big welcome to Eric Smith, who is a literary agent and author living in Philadelphia. An agent with PS Literary, he's worked on New York Times bestselling and award-winning books. 
As an author, his books include Don't Read the Comments and the forthcoming You Can Go Your Own Way, from both from Inkyard Press, and the co-edited anthology Battle of the Bands from Candlewick with Lauren Gibaldi. Gibaldi? Gibaldi. Gibaldi. Ah, third try. I mean, first <laughs> try. Yeah. So tell us a bit about your books, Eric. Yeah. Hi. So, um, yeah. Oh, my goodness. So Don't Read the Comments comes out in paperback. Oh, dear. Uh, I hope my publicist doesn't listen to this. Uh, April. It comes out in <laughs> April. Um, and it's about two teens who meet in this like massively multiplayer online game called Reclaim the Sun. One is trying to support her family as this like semi-famous uh, video game streamer. Uh, and the other wants to write video games, but his family just completely disapproves. Uh, and when real-world harassment and, and doxing takes one of them offline, it becomes a story about being an ally and supporting one another when when the world is coming down uh, around you. Uh, and let's see, You Can Go Your Own Way, which comes out in November, I remember that one, is about two rivals who get snowed inside a failing pinball arcade in Philadelphia. Yes, uh, and then such a great trope. Yeah, I love Snowden stories, uh, and maybe romance happens. Uh, the problem is that the pinball arcade is owned by the boy's father, uh, who passed away a few years ago, uh, and the girl's dad wants to take it over and make it into an esports cafe. And it's a it's a former friends who are now rivals, uh, turned to lovers uh, rom com, just like full of seventies and eighties rock references and and pinball references and there were so many pinball jokes in the book that my editor made me dial it back like it was, it was, <laughs> no. it was too much it's like no one's gonna understand well, you're doing it right <laughs> <laughs> what all this is and then um and then lastly battle of the bands uh oh boy I, I usually don't talk this much about myself i'm sorry it's it's this uh it's this collection of ya short stories um set at one high school's battle of the bands night all the stories uh, mesh into one another, so you see characters from everyone else's stories uh, popping up in different stories. Uh, and we have a bunch of wonderful voices from YA in it. Uh, Jeff Zettner is in it, Brittany Cavallaro, Jasmine Warga, um, and it's just a whole bunch of fun. Uh, and we even have a famous rock star in it, Justine Courtney Pierre of Motion City Soundtrack. Uh, it was a good lesson in shooting your shot. Like, I awkwardly messaged him on Facebook and was like, hey, you're the singer of my favorite band. Maybe you want to be in this book? And it turned out he was super nice, you know? And, you know, just say hi to that person you admire. You never know. Shoot your shot. <laughs> Good things <laughs> might happen. There you go. That's great. And Kristen, for you, that means Facebook does still have a place. <laughs> yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very loyal to Facebook. And so Instagram I'm having a bit of trouble with. But we'll get there. All right. Well, we're excited to talk with you today, Eric, about um, creating a satisfying relationship arc, particularly in YA, both from the author side of things and the agent editor side. And I know our first question was about uh, favorite tropes, but if we're okay with skipping over, I want to make sure we get to the real meat of this topic. Um, so let's go ahead and start with the question, what is a relationship arc? Ooh, yeah, yeah. Oh my goodness. So um, I, gu I guess a relationship arc answers a a lot of questions, right? So it it answers questions about how a relationship develops over the story. You know, how do they get to know one another? Um, what do they learn as a result of their relationship? Uh, how do they hurt each other or lift each other up? Um, it's about the journey, right, of these two people who are together. Um, sometimes it's a friendship. Sometimes it's a, you know a saga between family members. Uh, sometimes it's a first date you had with someone, and up until now you're not sure where it's going to be going. Um, all of these moments sort of develop 
what a relationship arc is. Uh, so it's just answering lots of questions about the two people uh, or, or more uh, along the way. I really like that definition. I think for me, um, part of, of an arc, the important part is the shape of it too. You know, um, they're either moving in or out these two individuals or, or up or down, but there's definite direction. Um, and so with an arc, you know, it's, it's a smooth shape. It has its up and downs. And I think that can literally be translated into a story. Uh, we want a smooth connected journey between these two, like you said. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, you have a note uh, in here to, sorry, sorry to like break the, the mystery of the podcast, <laughs> but like you have a we note in here about how like relationships can't stagnate. Right. And like, that's something I think a lot about when it comes to like why contemporary and, and romances, because I am such a sucker for like the quiet novels and like the slow burn novels where it just, it takes forever to even get to that first kiss. You know, maybe the kiss happens on page 300 and like, I love those kind of stories. And like, you might think that that's like a relationship that's stagnant, you know, that it's, it's too quiet and nothing's happening, but so much can happen in those kind of quiet stories, you know, that, that it keeps it very, very captivating. Exactly. I mean, Jane Austen, she, she had that whole oh, thing yeah. down pat, right? <laughs> so slow and so dramatic. <laughs> well, I think that one of the things that's so important with relationship arcs is that even if it's the A story in a book, that it's not the only story. I feel like slow burn books like that, it's the story really serves and moves people forward and forces people into situations where they have to talk to each other, they have to relate to each other, they have to work together. Or I mean, like if it's a, a sibling relationship where people hate each other and we're trying to push people towards a, a reconciliation, like the circumstances of the plot allow that to happen. And I love that there are different pacings that you can do with that, because if you're in a like fast fantasy swords blazing type of a thing, um, those circumstances can serve a relationship arc, but also like a high school s slow, I would like to get into college sort of a book. Like it depends on what, uh, like what your, what your other parts of your story are doing. And, and I love being able to overlap those because stories need to have, they need to make sense. They can't have like isolated arcs that all just kind of happen independently of one another. So the thing so that, what would we oh go ahead Kristen well I was just gonna say that when it comes to like a relationship arc it's something that I have been thinking about is that since relationships involve like more than one person um each of those people is going on their own independent character arc and so it, instead of really having like a one arc connecting these two people you kind of also have like almost a Venn diagram of arcs because you've got like person A's personal arc and person B's um, personal arc and their relationship arc is like the center point and I just think um, I think if you haven't given equal weight to the people in the in the relationship your your overall arc is going to kind of suffer for that that's a really interesting perspective and I think that dovetails really nicely with our, our next question here um, how can we make relationship arcs in a book extra satisfying so you talked about how giving the characters equal weight, both of them pulling. I think that's a really good point. So do you have any tips or thoughts on how we can um, make satisfying relationship arcs in our books, Eric? Yeah, I mean, it is all about that equal weight thing, right? Like, I want to know what everyone's feeling, what everybody is going through. It's kind of why I'm such a sucker for, like, shifting POV in novels, particularly in, like, YA contemporary, because you get to 
experience all those big feelings from everyone. You know, you're kind of able to give everybody that that agency uh, in that sort of, you know, in that in that method of storytelling. Absolutely, I really I love multiple POVs. Me too. I really love seeing. Um, I really love watching a character process somebody else as well, though. I love it in multiple POVs where you know what's happening with the other character, and then you have to watch the first character like actually process what's going on but i think you can accomplish that in a single pov book too yeah that's my favorite the dramatic irony of knowing what's going on (laughs) do either of you have like tips and tricks for doing that if you are in just a single point of view Hmm. who are you talking to (laughs) anybody i I, (laughs) just because i i do feel like when you have multiple points of view it's like you you've sort of I mean, you've made things harder for yourself in some ways, but you've also, you've definitely opened a larger window for readers into the other person's mind. But we talk a lot about how all characters, we want to be fully fleshed out or rounded. And um, I guess I'm just wondering if anybody has seen that done really well by a book or or what exactly has done that. <laughs> yeah, you know, like I'm thinking about some of my my clients in my agent life and I feel like Rebecca Phillips does this really well in her novels. We worked on this great book called uh, These Things I've Done uh, Together. Well, it's just it's just These Things I've Done, not These Things I've Done Together. <laughs> Although the, the second sounds like a book title as well. Uh, and like her book is, you know, just from the POV of the, the main character and shifts back and forth through time. Uh, and the relationship arc that the character experiences feels so real and intense because there are just so many big feelings circulating around where we're in her, we're in her head a whole lot throughout the story. Um, there's lots of toxic relationships going on. So there's, there's a lot of complexity there. So I think keeping the narration really close and, and staying in the character's head makes that really effective. I feel like if it was like third person and I could understand what everyone was feeling at once, it wouldn't be as intense. I don't know. I agree, because I feel like when you're in a first-person POV where you don't have multiple narrators, it really opens up possibilities as far as people taking things the wrong way or people coming to wrong conclusions or whatever else. And so there are, like, linchpin moments in the book where there's, like, a fight between characters or, like, a heart-to-heart between characters where it means a whole lot more because we finally get to see the other side of the story. And those are really emotional moments that if you already knew what was going on would be significantly less meaningful. I'm silly, but I'm going to use one of my own books as an example. But in the second book in um, The Last of Burning Trilogy, there's a character who does some really terrible things in the first book. And then in the second book, he finally gets a chance to explain himself, but he doesn't have a good explanation. But it's still like a, a really difficult argument that happens between the main character and this boy because she did some terrible things and didn't realize that they were terrible up until that point. So I love things like that because they force both characters to reflect on what actually happened. I'm trying to think if you're talking about Hal or Tyga at this point because uh, both of them are bad. I was trying not to say Hal because he's supposed to die at the beginning of the first book. <laughs> now spoilers all around. Anyway, okay, let's keep going. No, I think this is a very, a very important point that, um, the feelings are what sells this. And so if you're if you're going to stick with one POV, it's almost like you have to double the emotion that your character is feeling or at least state it so explicitly or so consistently that readers can stay keyed in right with your main character and, and be experiencing that vicariously. 
And so then maybe we can talk about ways authors can get good at making these arcs natural and satisfying. Is there a place they can develop these skills, a, a resource we can give them, or some other ideas? Oof. Like, I feel like I'm going to give, like, the like the MFA professor advice I give to all my students that they hate. And that's just like reading as many books as you can to inform your work. Um, it's totally true though. Yeah, it, it totally is. Right. That's like always my writing advice. You know, like when my friends are like, Hey, I want to start writing. I want to try to write a YA novel like you. Like I'm like, all right, well read a bunch of YA novels and then they don't want to do it. And then they don't write a YA novel. Um, but you know, like I'm not a teen anymore, you know, but I read tons of YA to like, hone that voice in and, and, and navigate those relationships. Um, also like consuming any kind of media that digs into that stuff. So, you know, I, I watch my, my teen TV shows and my teen movies and I watch Riverdale where all these teen characters have lived way richer lives than I have, <laughs> even though I'm like in my late thirties now. Uh, so, so yeah, like find that stuff that, that will inform your work. That's, that's, I feel like that's the best way to do it. My favorite thing to do is listen to This American Life and listen to real stories and just think, oh, I want to capture that same feeling. Like, not the same story, but I want the feeling that I get when I listen to this in the story that I'm telling and and just the way people interact and the way people talk. And like, it's just so inspiring to listen to other people's work, both fiction and nonfiction. So cool. Awesome. We've got about 30 seconds left for this final question, but I think it's a great one. So I want to make sure we... We at least touch on it. So, Eric, you rep and write YA, and YA books are a bit shorter than what the rest of us like to write. But YA, so much of YA does a great job of showing nuanced and full characters with complicated family, friend, romantic, and et cetera arcs happening within a small word count. Um, Any tips on how to accomplish that, on how to keep arcs short and succinct? Yeah, totally. And, you know, like, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know if I would say YA is that short. You know, like most of the stuff I read is like 70 to 90 K. Um, but you're, I don't know. You're talking to a bunch of people who write like 150, oh, 200,000 word books. So. Okay. Well, that, <laughs> okay. that explains Okay. I just want to defend myself. I have not reached 150. <laughs> We're talking about you here, Caitlin. You <laughs> I, the long well, I wrote the question and then when he responded that way, I was like, well, I don't feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> No, I oh, continue. No, so I, I'm so impressed by contemporary novels that accomplish so much in a much lower word count than I manage. I just need to become a better writer is what it boils down to. I mean, Go I'm ahead. impressed by people that can write that much. Like, that's, that's incredible. Like, when, when I first wrote uh, Don't Read the Comments, it was like a 55,000 word book. And my, my editor was like, no, we need to, need to write more. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, I, I would say just remember that, like, the teen and coming of age experience is so full of so much immediacy, right? Like there's, there's so much urgency in like every moment, whether they're big or small, um, in these like fleeting youthful, I guess, moments, you know, like you, you could accomplish a lot of things happening in a tight amount of time by, by paying attention to that pacing, uh, that makes YA, you know, work the way it does, because that's, I don't know, that's, that's the, that's the life of being a teenager, right? All these things feel so huge and they happen so fast. Just write it the way you lived it, really. Unless you lived like a character in Riverdale. <laughs> had, had way more things happen to you than I have. <laughs> I heard that they skipped like five years or they're going to. Is that true? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I love that bizarre show so much. How, every, like... time, every time I see something new that's happening on that show, I just can't. I wonder if it's real. And every time I think that somebody is just making like 
like like making fun of the show, but then it's actually something that happened on the show. I love it. <laughs> yeah, like you know, they they've started three different gangs, and you know, like as one there's, does. <laughs> there's that there's that great there's like a gif of of Archie, and he's like in jail, and he's like talking to the kids, and he's like, "You've never experienced the joy." Of high school football. Yeah. <laughs> the epic highs and lows. <laughs> the epic highs and lows, yes. Oh my god. I love it. <laughs> well, we'd better go ahead and transition to our, our last portion of the podcast oh, where we yes, yes. critique an audience submission, a quick review of how we do this critique. We try to be non-prescriptive, but you can see this text for yourself and view all of our notes on it on our website, litservicepodcast.wixsite.com slash litnation. If you would like a first chapter critique from us, you can find our submission guidelines there as well. So a quick summary of this week's chapter. A 19-year-old woman working in a call center comes out of a dreadful performance review and must face a weekend all alone without any plans. Which, you know, is pretty much my life. I don't know about you, Kristen, Caitlin, or Eric, but you got a performance review. You know, accepting that, but, you know, quarantine times. Kind oh, of, yes. kind of worldwide. But what are some things we liked about this submission? I mean, there's a lot to like here. I thought the voice was really great. Yeah, I don't know what. Uh, I, I felt bad when I started reading it because like there was a blip up top that said it was a portal fantasy, and like that's like my kryptonite. Like whenever, whenever I see portal, but I don't know. There, there was just something really interesting about this this boss that just clearly can't stand this character. We have no idea why, and and the, watching this character have this meltdown, I just. Uh, I wanted to know so much more. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think there were some really great voicey lines. Like one that we we pointed out is where I think it's her boss that's typing with two fingers, pecking at the keyboard like a chicken looking for bugs, which I thought was uh, pretty visceral. Mm-hmm. Well, and also she calls him the manager, not so extraordinaire. And also, I closed my eyes and I hoped it looked like I was taking his wisdom and pondering it. When, in fact, I was trying very hard to keep my eyeballs from rolling into the back of my head. Love. <laughs> I thought there were some really nice moments of strong emotion in this. I especially liked that the story starts out in a high-stakes um, situation. And so right from the beginning, we're getting, you know, anguish and angst from our character, which is always nice. Yeah, I gotta say, this sort of gave me, like, war flashbacks to some of my, my worst <laughs> jobs. <laughs> oh, like um there's a paragraph that i particularly appreciated maybe because i found it so relatable but she's like responding to him and she's like i understand i said i didn't i'll do better i wouldn't i promise i promised myself to start looking for another job for real this time and (laughs) i just there, there was something really depressing and and relatable about that and it instantly gave me a picture of what her life is like at this point what are some things that could use a second look like i i did kind of want like, we spend a lot of time hearing our character get berated by this boss, but, like, very little time getting to know the actual character. Like, I kind of wanted to know, like, what this character's deal is. You know, for, for me, like, the best kind of first chapters, and I'm sure maybe this this happens a little bit later, but, like, the best kind of first chapters get us attached to the character and make us care. Uh, and I wanted to know why I should care, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go, Go for ahead. It, Caitlin. <laughs> Well, I was just going to say, I felt that way a lot, too, because a lot of what we get in this first chapter is her being berated and then her checking Facebook and feeling bad that she broke up with this. Well, not even feeling bad that she broke up with her boyfriend, but feeling bad that he has obviously moved on and then looking at his pictures of having moved on, which 
I, I never really felt like we got a scene where the character was the protagonist actually doing something that showed us something about her. The whole time, she's kind of uh, a figure who is being acted upon. And there are some really interesting little notes through here where uh, we know that her mother has just passed away and that she's just broken up with this boy. And it was in a really not very nice way that it happened. Um, but all of those things are just told to us, like right in a line. There's a bunch of she's like, and then this happened and then this happened. It's all in her head. And she's sitting at her desk, like clicking through Facebook, which like, I mean, I would love to be shown some of those things in a scene. Like, how awful is it to run into the boyfriend who's got a, a new girlfriend or whatever else or or to feel that? Uh, that difficulty of having to be out and about when you're feeling grief. Like, those things are such visceral, difficult things that people identify with. I was really just wanting to see it happen in real time rather than have her tell me about it. Yeah, I'll agree. Um, I felt like especially, like, like pages around pages four through six, I feel like it got really into summary mode rather than, like, story mode. And so I felt like the pace really dragged there. Um which is kind of a shame because so many of the things we're told are really interesting and important to understand the character, but it made what I was reading feel slower than it probably needed to. I think an issue I had with this piece is kind of Cassidy's outlook on the world. My reader response was that she she isn't quite a likable character right now just because, you know, in, in hindsight, we see her say some pretty mean things to her ex, Brad, and she's not warm to any of her coworkers, and she kind of seems to be really angry at everyone we meet in the submission. And this unlikability works fine if it's intentional, um, but if it is intentional, I think I'm, I would like a little more lampshading, and by that, I just mean specific attention drawn to the fact that, that she is unlikable and that the author is aware that she's unlikable. And there are great ways to make unlikable characters likable. One of my favorites is the save the cat model, which suggests that you have your unlikable character or prickly character um, save a cat in the first act so that the audience will be rooting for them. Now, clearly not <laughs> not literally a cat, but just if there was something else I could grab onto about her character to root for, I think that would really help me in this first chapter. Is there anything else we wanted to really go into here? I feel like I have to bring up the Facebook thing just because Aaliyah brought yes. it up earlier. But yeah. <laughs> um, this is our Chekhov's gun for this episode. Uh, is <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't mind that um, Cassidy is having this sort of catty reaction to the people around her. Um, but I will say that when I got to the part about her posting like a status update on Facebook, I automatically was like, Whoever wrote this is not 19 because I don't know anybody who is near a teenager who still posts status updates on Facebook. <laughs> so that really, really took me out of it. Yeah. All right. Then thanks to this author for submitting. We enjoyed reading your work. And Eric, yes. thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, my pleasure. Our next guest will be Lisa Maxwell, New York Times bestselling author of The Last Magician series. If you'd like a critique from Lisa, submit us your work to us by April 1st. If you like what you've heard, please check out our new Patreon page where you can get bonus content like hot seat critiques, early episode access, and a writing group experience with Lit Service crew members. It takes a whole team of creatives to make Lit Service, and patrons help us keep going. Thank you to all of you who have already become patrons and are keeping us on the air. Thanks to our assistant, Chelsea Mortensen, who does all our social media, and Craig Harris, who's on sound design. We couldn't do the podcast without them. If you want to ask us questions, tell us we're awesome, or whine about how your writing is going, you can find us on social media or email us at litservicepodcast at gmail.com. 
Please remember to like, share, and review the podcast. It helps us grow. Thanks for listening to Lit Service. We'll see you in two weeks.